Hello, I'm Derek Weekly, and welcome to episode 50 of the Weekly Weekly Podcast. So we made it to uh, the big one. I've been talking about it for a while, uh, number 50, because obviously it's a milestone and there's other milestones along the way. I think 52 is going to be a milestone because that would be, you know, consistent year that we haven't missed an episode, uh, a weekly episode. So that's, that's another one. And then obviously 100 and that. But yeah, we're delighted to get here. And uh, thanks to every single person who's listened to, followed, subscribed, everything that you've done. Um, you know, it makes it, it makes it so uh, easy for me to kind of come on and, and talk when I know that there's an audience out there. Um, I probably still do it otherwise, just talk to myself because I, I actually enjoy it and I, I enjoy learning about people and that. But to know there's people listening and taking things from it, it's obviously, uh, you know, even more important. And um, we're still doing the Live and Joyful series over on Instagram. That's kind of a, it's kind of a weekly thing, but, you know, not exactly set as this uh, um, podcast the podcasts are you know so keep an eye out for them we'll be having more guests coming on that um but anyway listen i'm going to introduce uh, a very special guest today she's a former ufc fighter first female to receive a, a black belt in brazilian jiu-jitsu in ireland and i would say and many would say the queen of irish mma and her name is ashleen daly how are you ashleen hi i'm great thanks thanks very much for having me on delighted to be here Hey, look, do you, look, we're, we're both Irish, yeah, um, we're both, Irish people aren't mad about compliments, um, would that be fair? I, we're not mad about taking them, I think we're like, yeah. good at giving them, like, pretty much, like, but not good at taking them, no. <laughs> how do you, like, so how do you feel when people do kind of talk about you in, in, in that way because they're I mean they're facts I mean the, the black belt and uh, jiu-jitsu and, and uh, as an Irish uh, MMA fighter they're all facts do you do you kind of uh, take pride in them are you still very close very close to the time when it happens so you can't you haven't distanced yourself enough yet or is it a bit well, of both? I, I, I actually surprised me I'm completely disassociated from that that whole kind of era already because I think it just I made a, a major life transition with going back to study that that made the breakaway a lot more straightforward and a lot more kind of finite. So, uh, yeah, I find it very difficult when people are talking to me about those things. I honestly sometimes feel like I'm like they're talking about somebody else. Yeah. And I find it difficult to remember exactly how things felt at the time or uh, sometimes I forget how, how things happened, the order that they happened in or whatever. I honestly feel like it's somebody else. And even when I'm watching videos of fights and stuff or you know people oh UFC Dublin I can remember UFC Dublin but I still yeah. had that kind of like outer body experience while being there but watching the fight back like I'm like oh god who is she like <laughs> she's um, my mad cousin I lock in the basement yeah. <laughs> that's that's another thing like we're obviously going to talk about that down the line but there's a, there is a funny thing about um talking to well I suppose talking to someone like yourself Ashley I'm watching you being interviewed um I've seen, obviously, I've been watching clips and you were on TV and, and you know, rec- um, sorry, interviews before fights and things. And the the separateness from uh, that, Ashley, and then Ash the Bash, as as was your nickname, when you're in and you're, you've got full mount on someone and you're boxing the heads of them. It, it's a very, <laughs> it's such a strange, like, uh, difference between the person, you know? Oh, it, it's always been an actual alter ego, like, and that's kind of the way I had to build it up because I am a naturally, like, an aggressive person or, like, argumentative or looking for a fight mm. or whatever. You know, sometimes you see people and they get into MMA and guys in the UFC and they talk about, like, oh, you know, they've had 
100 street fights and that's why they got into MMA and all that kind of stuff and you know people have said to me before that I'm not a fighter I'm a competitor and that's that's pretty much what happens so to kind of bridge the gap between me being a competitor who wants to win to kind of have that extra little bit of a drive or that extra little bit of viciousness I guess is the only way you could describe it to want to win fights in that fashion it would take the camp to dig up Ash the Bash like so yeah. the whole time working into that mentality and it, it kind of has to filter through to all yeah and like anybody who was close to me around that time would tell you I was unpleasant to be around on fight week because I had channeled that alter ego such that I almost I did believe it myself like so yeah. I, you almost develop an, an air of arrogance like nobody's gonna beat me what are you talking to me like that for I'm not doing that like I'm not going there I'm not yeah. But it's just kind of where you needed to be, the headspace you need to be in to feel like that. Not only is it impossible for you to lose, but also that you're somewhat indestructible, I guess, because the sport is kind of dangerous. You can't possibly think in your head, oh, I'm going to go out here and get hurt or I'm going to go out here and lose. Like, So you just kind of build yourself up. So it's always been that that complete like uh, separation. Like It's always like Ashling and even like going to the venue or flying away for fights I'd be always like oh Ashling's staying at home and Ash the Bash is going to look after this and yeah. you know, Ashling will be all right like so it's like a like a method actor really isn't it it's you know like the Daniel Day-Lewis kind of idea that he just the whole thing is just that and that for you then in the fight week you were just Ash the Bash and Ashley was 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 away until this fight was over she was sitting at home with a cup of tea yeah <laughs> Ash the Bash was doing all the hard work yeah yeah Ashling when she's lazy <laughs> but, hey. uh, well, when, it has to be done like yeah that's for me the, anyway like you know if you if you need to bridge the gap between being a competitor to becoming a fighter and you're not naturally inclined to be that way something mm. needs to kind of tip you over the edge yeah that's fair enough but um we'll get into the uh the two questions we always ask so could you give me a, a short history of your uh, upbringing please actually yeah, so basically I grew up in a small house in Drimna. I have two sisters and two brothers. I'm the second youngest, so um, that was obviously fun. Um, nothing really too interesting or exciting about my upbringing. Both my parents were always in my life. Like I had a really nice childhood and I just was always kind of tomboyish. I was always into kind mm. of sports or, you know, even in like school sports day or something like that, you know, we were in a, a mixed secondary school and I'd want to be competing with what the, the boys were doing. So like, you know, uh, the beep test, you know, the fitness mm. test, you know, like I was always the best out of the girls, but then I wanted to beat the guys. And, you know, we had a couple of lads who played County, you know, for Dublin or whatever. Yeah. So like they'd always come like first and second and I'd be like, you know, rage and all that kind of stuff. Like I was a nerd in school. I've always been kind of academic and like loved reading and being into history and English and all those kind of things. So I guess in some ways I'm kind of like not 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 typical that I, I was kind of like both. But hmm. um yeah, I, I just always kind of been like that. And then I went to UCD then. I was studying English and history. I thought I was going to be an English and history teacher and I, I didn't like UCD and then when the opportunity came along then to go professional in MMA then um just seemed like an easy transition I'll take a year out and see how it goes like yeah and then obviously it just never went never went back then like you know obviously it was karate was my background I should have said that I, I started with my my coaching ward who without him and him kind of helping me all the way through because he was the one who moved like moved me from training karate with him to start in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu because we were right. part of a karate association 
that didn't like that we were training grappling so it came down to this kind of situation where they said oh look you guys can train grappling or you can train karate but you can't do both and he had really seen the light in terms of those like traditional martial arts not really being all they were made out to be so he left and he set up a a club uh, in our local youth center or whatever you know one of those school hall type vibes where you're pulling down mats and putting them away and so that's where I started off then I trained with him for a couple of years and then I got to blue belt level and he looked he said look you know I'm a blue belt and you're blue belt so if you want to get better at this you're gonna have to to move on like you know so he was already training in SBG at the time so then he he took me to SBG with him at this age I'm like 16 17 years of age and he would give me lifts and and really help me out and all the kind of stuff and yeah, that's, that's how it took off. Because at that stage, it was really awkward, you know, being a 16, 17-year-old girl in a pretty much all-male environment. There might have been one other female training there at the time. But the guys still don't really want to train with you. And it's still a bit awkward. And he would always make sure that he partnered with me or if he wasn't going to be at a session or something like that, he'd nearly, like, say oh, to one of the lads, oh, look, Ash will be here, like, later. Or Ash will be here tomorrow. You know, will you you partner with her? And obviously, that was just for the first few months. And then after a while you just be kind of come part of the, the norm and people can see how how hard you're working and see the, the work you're putting in and they're they're more kind of accepting of you but it would be a lie to say that like from the, the first day I walked in that like it was everybody's like oh great there's a woman who wants to do MMA like it definitely yeah. wasn't it was, you know that kind of like who did your woman <laughs> think she is like how is she going to be able to manage this so I don't want to partner with her she's not going to be good oh yeah. you know like there is even a though you're a blue belt like, that, yeah exactly well that's a, that's another thing blue belt at a time when there was probably like 10 blue belts in the country yeah <laughs> exactly yeah I, I we have we have a, a female trainer with us azora actually is her name and she's um i think she's 21 and like i always think for anybody coming into a gym just on their own is tough like you know uh, azora was coming in like you to an all-male uh, environment there was no other females there in the mats uh and i'd say some of the i would say some of the younger guys wouldn't go with her and they were just like like you were saying exactly how you described it so I went to her and a few of the lads my age or close to my age uh, started going with her and I think when she got a couple of the lads in guillotines it was all of a sudden like oh that's no that's okay now that's there's an acceptance there as if it's like you can't accept them first of all when they come in but once you see oh they're actually a bit of a killer then it's all <laughs> into it, which yeah. is which is great. And she she's well, you know, this year has been or twenty twenty has been different, obviously. But she was flying. Um, so what age? Actually, I just want to ask, what age were you when you started karate? Uh, I was ten. Yeah. Oh, really? 10. Okay. So you were ten to to what? About sixteen until you started. Uh, ten until kind of like fourteen, fifteen, right. and that's when we started off. Then uh, with the jujitsu kind of being introduced. So what ended up happening was we used to do our karate session and then we'd put the mats down and like four or five like people with me would like just roll around like Mm -hmm. trying to work out what we were trying to do in terms of jiu-jitsu because at that stage it was still like even the likes of John Cavan and stuff like that weren't like there was no coach here like yeah John was going to the UK to train he was learning from like old instructionals you know like Mario Sperry and Rodrigo Madeiras and Marco Huis and all these kind of guys like with VHS like this is what <laughs> this is what we were learning off you know like yeah. so I don't know if you know it like they call it the, the James Bond choke now you know where you're kind of like 
squeeze the legs around the, the head. Oh, yeah. that, that, that was from a Mario Sperry instructional. So that was one of my uh, specialities when I was a white belt. You know? <laughs> Just used to squeeze people's head basically and hope. It's horrible. <laughs> yeah, it is horrible. But like this is what, like it was literally a case of like the blind leading the blind. Like so it was yeah. like these kind of old fashioned instructionals was how we kind of learned like and just experimenting on each other and like when i think about it now it's hilarious and slightly crazy like especially because a lot of times like these were men that i was training with i just happened to be a 14 year old girl who wanted to do jiu-jitsu and i'm pretty sure if the same situation was happening now it'd be like some kind of child protection (laughs) (laughs) issue like but i just wanted to learn and i just wanted to train and you know like and every all the guys were always great to me like you know i never came to any harm like they always just pushed me and i wouldn't have got to where yeah. I am now without them but it's just it's funny looking back at what was acceptable then and what definitely would not be <laughs> acceptable now <laughs> yeah that's it. the idea of his class because of you know I'm walking to my gym to do jiu-jitsu and my coach Martin or John and they, they have exactly laid out the, the plan you know and it's it's like this part you know you're setting up a choke or whatever it is and you move through different stages but it sounds like it sounds like you were obviously you were watching videos or whatever but there's a kind of an, uh, an experimental aspect to it. More oh, than... definitely, a hundred percent. And a lot of the thing was just like, okay, being on top is good. Yeah, you know, like, <laughs> just, like top is king. Just be on top, like so. You know, if you were on like now bottom or side control bottom or something like that, you had to get out of there. So yeah. it was just working things out. Like, okay, well, if I'm side control bottom and I throw my back, I get choked. So yeah. <laughs> maybe I should stop doing it that stop way. Doing that, yeah, I'm still like but... that. <laughs> <laughs> But then, so when did you first uh, become aware of mental health, actually? Oh, definitely in my, in my teens. I would always say I was a bit more cerebral or a bit more of a thinker than like other teens my age. I always kind of had an, an old head on my shoulders anyway. But I definitely found from an early age, like definitely kind of like puberty onwards, that I would not say I, I felt maybe I would take things to heart a little more. I would overthink things a little bit more or you know it could be like teenage arguments with a friend or those kind of like love interests or whatever as a teen that I would take those things a little bit more personally than other people but I didn't really think of it as being like oh I have a mental health problem I just kind of figured that was the way I was and then as things went on and things progressed in my life then I started to realize that I I did have kind of a slightly more dark or negative kind of way of of thinking my thought process was probably a little bit more skewed towards the the dark side than the average person but I definitely didn't realize until I was in my 20s then Mm. that I actually had anxiety and that I I did struggle about the depression as as I went on it's only when kind of people start to talk about it and then you kind of put a name on it and you address that maybe you are thinking a little bit differently to the average person or that you're just not quite on the same level of, of kind of shock absorption for different incidents in your life that you're like oh I, I like I kind of felt like I was a bit different or something was a little mm. bit askew here but now I actually know there's a name on it you know but it yeah. definitely was something I, I was aware of definitely from teenagers yeah that's you know it's a common when I do ask that question because it, it's a I uh, when I started doing the podcast I was like those two questions were important kind of across the board to find out the different stages when people realized that they had a mental and not everybody who came on had a mental health issue but you know they were aware of mental health as such from school or whatever depending on their ages of course but it's interesting to find out the different ages that people kind of start to realize that there was something um something wrong is not the way of putting it but something different I suppose is, is the way uh, I, I'd look at it and um, so going back then to to the uh, 
to the MMA, like when did you start to think that you could become a professional in the sport? Um, people kind of throw this word professional around. Mm. But for me, like there was no amateur. Amateur didn't exist. So if you wanted to fight MMA, immediately the rule set that you would go to was professional. Like we're talking about kind of 2005, 2006, when I kind of was like training MMA seriously before making my pro debut in 2007 so there was like MMA league which would be like no headshots on the floor and small gloves so it was like MMA league which is basically a grappling match with punches to the body or professional level elbows to the face knees to the face level that was just the transition so it wasn't like I made a conscious decision like I'm going to go professional now it was like okay I want to fight MMA this is the only rule set available to me and you just go for it you know and I thought that I would do well at it I thought that maybe I'd have a certain run of fights or whatever. And then that maybe would be as far as I would go, mostly because it didn't exist. Like there was no women's division in the UFC. There was no Bellator. There was no, there was no anything, anything that you can think of now that has women's fights didn't exist. At the time when I started to compete in mixed martial arts, there was Smack Girl in Japan, which have a 30 second ground limit. It's usually two four minute rounds or used to be two four minute rounds with the bigger gloves. So that to me, I felt it was very entertaining and I love that women were getting the opportunity to fight there. But still, to me, there was something amiss because it wasn't the same rule set as the men's. So that I always felt insulted when they tried to adjust the rules for women as if women mm-hmm. were less capable. And I didn't understand why, because, you know, sometimes they say, oh, you know, women, women won't be capable. Of, you know, their rounds are too long. Whereas anybody who has any kind of knowledge of sports science or anything like that knows that women tend to actually be far better endurance athletes than men. So to say that the rounds need to be shorter mm. because the women don't have the gas tank for it is scientifically incorrect. So mm. you know, I was always just kind of insulted by by that. You know, there was Bodog then came out in 2006, which I think was like pretty much disappeared very fast. I think they were laundering money or something like that. It was more mm. to do with gambling and stuff. And uh, but they were great. I really liked the way they ran the operation because they gave the females so much respect and the rules were exactly the same as the men. And, and that was very interesting. And kind of watching those fights was kind of what got me thinking that this could actually start to go mm. somewhere. But then there was a kind of a lull, you know, there was cage rage. I 100% know when I fought in cage rage, I loved fighting on it. I loved the whole kind of big show. But there was just the this is the freak show element. This is what we're, mm. we're selling, you know, like. It was like the first female fight in Wembley Arena. It was the first female fight televised on Sky Sports. But the media that we had to do coming up to that was ridiculous. Like there was a photo shoot that I went to where like think I'm not like 18, 19 at this stage. Like I'm very young. Like I'm on on my own. Basically, one of my my pals came with me. She's only 19 as well. Like, you know, we're two headless chickens in London being asked to do this photo shoot. Like so they're handing me like ball gowns and tiaras and so I'm taking this like bizarre picture with me in MMA gloves while wearing a ball gown and yeah. like a tiara on my head and stuff. I'm going, what is this? This is crazy. Like, what am I doing here? And then the photographer's like, oh, have you ever seen that photo shoot that they done for like uh, Pita? You know, like we'd rather go naked than wear fur. Have you seen it? And it's like, show me the picture. And uh, we'd like to do this with you and your opponent with just like MMA gloves covering your body parts. And mm. um, like... I was glad I had the foresight at the time to be like, no, I'm not doing yeah. this. Like, I definitely wouldn't want to be sitting here at 33 years of age with a photo of me in the nick with a pair of MMA gloves coming, covering my bits, like following me around. But yeah. just like what they were trying to do, it was that like sex is selling, like 
freak show element like mm. the women are not here to be respected for their attributes the women are here to be kind of ogled and oh women in a cage like isn't this interesting yeah so I, I promised myself from then on that I would never do anything like that to sell myself and I don't have any problem with women who do do it, especially now, because I think the sport is so legit and women are really regarded as being legit athletes and legit fighters. But at the time we weren't. And I really felt like I needed to make sure that it was all about skills. Mm. And I wanted it to be the case that when somebody watched me fight, that if I had no head, they wouldn't know if it was a male or female fight. Mm. That's the way I wanted it to be. So like even kind of I had short hair like the pink hair but kind of came a bit gimmicky I used to just dye my hair all different kinds of colors but it happened to be that my first fight the hair was pink mm. and then after I was like oh you're the pink haired girl that fights then I was like oh damn I kind of have to stay the pink haired yeah. girl that fights now like you know I keep changing all the time people won't recognize me but the short hair like what I would wear when I fall or like even how I would kind of dress to a certain extent like going to the gym outside the gym mm. it was always kind of like baggy hoodies and tracksuit bottoms and all that kind of stuff because I wanted it to be that way that I, I wasn't overly sexualized in any way where people would be able to discredit my skills mm. so I always kind of intentionally made it like that it's um, because I've tried to even the playing field yeah well, it's, again you know it's not something that I've done an arena I've been in and obviously uh, the experiences that you've had along the way but how 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 far do you think it's come then do you think have they moved away from the sexualization of They've obviously moved away from that bit, I mean, but is there still part of that in there? Oh, they, they definitely haven't moved away from it at okay. all. But I think, I honestly think there's this weird like kind of split and you can see it within the UFC, like where there is fighters who would kind of like line, take the line that I've taken where it's like, look, don't sexualize me. I'm here. I'm a fighter. I'm a professional athlete. Like I'm not going to be doing your topless photos or your your glam shoots or anything like that. Mm-hmm. And then there's other women who do have the skills and will do those shoots. But then there's this whole other kind of crop of women off to the side who don't really have the skills and who are just doing the glam shoots and they're getting these opportunities based on how they look. Basically, yeah. you know, like um. I don't I, like I'm not in the, in the marketplace for like standing all over somebody or like trying to like single somebody out but say somebody like Paige Van Zandt who clearly yeah. hasn't had the skill set like ha- never should have been where she was but yet because of the media attention that she was generating and the photo shoot she was willing to pose in and the way she was trying to carry herself and the way they were marketing her it, it mm. definitely wasn't all down to her but she got opportunities that she shouldn't have been given ahead of more skillful competitors because of the way she presented herself so they definitely haven't moved away from it entirely but I think it's just created these kind of like um like lines in the sand between like people who are solely professional athlete competitors and people who have a different kind of agenda going and I can understand in some ways if you do have the looks and whatever and you want to market yourself that way to earn money because I think it's one of those things that people seem to think that MMA fighters get paid a lot of money. Mm. Unless you are in the top 1% of MMA fighters in the world for either skills or uh, like interest, like generation of interest, mm. that's the only way you're going to earn that kind of money. Yeah. Everybody else is on pittance, especially if you're on entry level. Like so many times, even if you look at the cards for UFC and they, you know, go through the pay, like there'll be 70% of the fighters on the card will be on less money than the ring girls. Wow. So yeah. I can understand why these women 
tour yeah. to sell sell sex or sexualize themselves yeah, to be able to make it a proper proper cash flow do you think that's why you know that the the 50 grand bonus is so important to the fighters and it's even become more and more of a thing you hear it being talked about a lot more and even people at the end of the fights calling out the fact that they should have the 50 grand bonus yeah because a lot of the times these guys especially if they're at entry level they might be on eight or ten thousand dollars going in if they're entry level sure eight or ten thousand dollars minus depending on what state you're in whether that's going to be 15 percent tax or 30 percent tax like that's not going to be a lot for a camp like if you have to pay coaches like you might have coaches like as in your actual MMA coach might take a call your physio or or your strength and conditioning coach your supplements all the kind of stuff if you don't have sponsors like these guys who are coming in at entry level in the UFC are not even breaking even by the time they they finish these fights like and that's why a lot of them have part-time jobs and stuff as well like so if you don't win that 50 grand bonus like you're not like you're not going to make any money on on mm. that fight because you're getting paid so little and that's one of the reasons why i think a lot of guys have gone to bellator over the years and a lot of guys although the ufc is much more prestigious in terms of the the name it has for itself it is the premier league of mixed martial arts but they're not paying that well for entry level and there's a good chance because the competition is so hard like it's a difficult level of competition well for the most part obviously there's anomalies in there Mm. but you're not really going to get the opportunity to earn any money for yourself whereas a lot of the guys who come in entry level in Bellator they're getting paid more at an entry level and then the competition is less difficult so there's more chance of you moving up that next tier to earn more money so there's a ton of guys who have just kind of accepted that I'll be able to make a few paydays if I go to Bellator yeah. and not face the difficult competition rather than having to go the long road of like probably no comeback for this, like no money mm. made to be in the UFC. And I understand that completely. Like that's yeah. a completely, if you're claiming to be fighting the best in the world and want to be in the best in the world, then that's the UFC. Yeah. If you're wanting to fight because you really enjoy fighting and you want to make a few quid, then Bellator, then that's, that's fine as well. But yeah. just, don't ever stand in the shoes of the person who wants to make money and doesn't really care about being the best of the world and say that you're fighting the best in the world because that's yeah. not true. Like, yeah, yeah, I get you. So, like, speaking of the UFC, your your first entry into the UFC was the Ultimate Fighter, is that right? Yeah, yeah, I done the Ultimate Fighter. I think it was twenty fourteen. Yeah. yeah, it was. It was. It was. <laughs> Yeah, we, we discussed this before. We're not very good at years, either of us. We won Series 20. Um, how was it? Actually, could you just give us a quick description of the show for the people who may not have uh, heard of it, you know? Yeah, so basically, The Ultimate Fire is very similar to, say, like Big Brother or another reality TV show like that, except the aim, obviously, is, is fighting. So you're completely isolated from the outside world. You spend six weeks in a house in Vegas, 16 women in total, split into two teams of eight kind of like a dorm set up all like the house is all kitted out no pool bar all that kind of stuff yeah and uh, no telephone no email no phones nothing no contact with the outside world none at all people always oh, you must have been like you had no phone there you know not literally nothing you weren't allowed to bring even books in the only book you were allowed to bring was the bible i am not uh, very religious so I petitioned and was allowed to bring in one other book of my choosing, considered to be like an atheist Bible, <laughs> but uh, literally no contact. And then what starts off is 
you know, kind of like captain's pick or whatever. Uh, Anthony Pettis was my coach at the time. Uh, who was the coach? I can't remember. I can picture Gilbert Melendez. He was the coach of the other team. So forced kind of like almost to control who gets the pick. So mm-hmm. sometimes it would be a case of like the weakest person on one team would fight the strongest person on another team, you know, because whoever wins the next match gets to pick who who fights the, mm. the next match or whatever so gradually as people lose you still stay in the house so what happens is say i lost my first fight which i didn't but just for argument's sake you lose mm. your first fight you stay in the house but then you're still going training you're still kind of helping out your teammates a little bit but you're kind of it's a bit pointless for you now because mm. your your goal is gone there's no purpose so then you find these situations where people who are knocked out early are drinking and having parties and other people are trying to go to bed early and get yeah. themselves ready for training. And it's just, it's a real pressure cooker environment because MMA fights are so mentally demanding anyway. They're so grueling to be in that kind of situation. And they're difficult to be in if you have your favorite people around you and your trusted people around you and all those kind of things. But then to be thrown into this environment where you're given this team who are like, oh, this is your team now. Like, I don't know these people. This is not my team. This yeah. is your coach now. Your coach is going to like, corner you for this fight who what's his name like yeah, what's going yeah. on here like so it's just really a pressure cooker environment so like whoever wins the ultimate fighter and i've said this forever it's never the best fighter it's mm. the better it's the person who's best at dealing with those situations yeah. who can deal with that pressure cooker environment and you've seen it kind of over the years a lot of people who win the ultimate fighter don't really go anywhere in the ufc now sometimes they do like and like Rose obviously was the the one of the people who came through first, but she didn't win the series. Mm. Like so, Carla as far as it uh, won it, and then where's Carla now? Like you know she's m- like middle table of the division yeah. now. So it's not anything to do with skill level. It's to do with how you you deal with those kind of pressure cooker environment. But it's a really toxic environment to be in. It is purely toxic. Like there's very few people in there that have any interest in your your well being or anything like that. And even the producers, not so much. You know the kind of way they they just want to make good tv they're not so much caring if you know did they did the producers ask you um about your mental health uh oh yeah they did yeah in the the interview they do a pretty like stringent but did they want you to talk about it on camera uh i don't think they asked me to talk about it on camera i can't really remember exactly if there was it might have been brought up there was a suggestion i I just read it yesterday it wasn't your quote or anything but there was a, a suggestion that they asked you they knew that you had spoken about your mental health before and they they kind of wanted you to kind of speak about it um on on camera in an interview no no you said you can't remember i don't i don't recall that being a thing and i wouldn't be the type of person in that kind of situation that somebody said oh you're going to talk about this now so talk about it yeah I, i i wouldn't have been that i remember before i went in i wrote a blog post because mm. um i was on like antidepressants and stuff like that and i was going through a tough time and you know going to like see a psychologist like multiple times a week and stuff like that and i kind of said to myself before i went in like i don't want to hide this there's enough pressure on me already in this pressure cooker environment that i don't want it to be a case of like I have my prescription with me I'm not just going to like all of a sudden just stop like taking my prescription so I'm taking these antidepressants and every move I make is going to be recorded so I don't want it to be like me caught on tape yeah yeah taking yeah. antidepressants and this becoming a thing so I'm like no this is this is where I'm at right now this is how I feel and this is how I, I'm, I'm tipping along with it so I think it might have been prompted a little bit by the blog post but it was definitely not been said do you want to talk about mental health now yeah. 
yeah. was me more addressing it for myself because I think there was a lot of stigma still like you know think about this is like 2014 yeah like yeah. in the last couple of years things have really taken off and people are like you know it's okay not to be okay and you know things like noggin sports and all, all the kind of stuff for like are, are more positively discussing mental health in sports whereas at, at the time it wasn't really that that big of a deal and it, it worked out like so positively for me mm-hmm. in that regard because there were so many people who watched it and messaged me or like wrote me a letter or whatever after and said like when I saw that what you were doing like that if somebody who goes in and fights in a cage yeah. can also have these issues then like maybe I'm not that bad or yeah. maybe I'm not like it's like we're all human like you know yeah. if I can still go and do what I do then you can still go and do what you do there's nothing wrong with anybody who has mental yeah. health as in like wrong as in bad like you're like not a good human it just it is the way it is like you know it's like breaking your toe or something yeah well that's the thing like the breaking the toe we always talk about you can see when someone's broken their toe and you can't see the mental health thing but for for um you know when I talk about like you're the first to do this and this and this but like in 2014 there wasn't an awful lot of people talking about mental health and because the fighting arena is seen as like everybody has to be tough and you know mentally strong and physically like and all this kind of stuff for you to come out and be talking about it would have been a massive thing for a lot of people at the time you know and I think um like you said now is a is a different time where we're kind of moving on and people are talking about it a bit more but but then uh some people didn't have those people that kind of stand up for them or speak up for them so it would have been a hugely important thing you know and uh so were you, like, did you worry about the idea that people at the time, or even some people still think of it as a weakness? Did you worry at the time that people would think that about you? No, I didn't worry that people would think it was a weakness. I definitely worry to some degree that people might judge me for it or, you know, it might kind of hamper like future prospects with, with yeah. things ever so slightly. But... I don't think I was worried about people thinking that I was weak because it didn't really, not that it definitely affected my performance. You know, I think it was 2013, I lost three fights in a row. Like, you know, a really, like that was a really rough patch for me. So it definitely was affecting my performance, but I don't think it was going to deter my future resolve to, com- to keep competing or to keep striving to be better. But I definitely did feel it was, it was a kind of tentative time. Like I, I didn't feel like, oh, I'm going to just like come out with this and everything's going to be yeah. easy after. But for like lots of different reasons, I felt like it was the right thing for me to do personally because I didn't want to hide anything. And it was the right thing for me to do personally because I know that other people struggle with these issues. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure if they'd done some kind of survey, even more so in mixed martial arts and other combat sports like jiu-jitsu, like I often describe it to people that these kind of sports and these are the only ones I'm familiar with I'm not sure if it's the same with ball sports or other sports like that but people tend to take up combat sports to stop having to fight themselves Mm. so instead of fighting yourself the whole time you start to fight somebody else in the nicest way possible you're not killing people in the gym but you know you're competing so it takes your mind off you're not arguing with yourself at home you're beating yourself up for your shortcomings or your perceived inadequacies you you go to the gym and you roll and you can't possibly think about you know what's not done or how you feel about yourself or whatever so I, I feel like often people use combat sports or probably exercise in general but like I said I'm going to speak about what I know about they use that as a coping mechanism for what their, their kind of internal struggle and 
I think that was one of the things as well, like the team that I came up with, you know, the likes of Chris Fields and Roddy, they would have spoken an awful lot, you know, uh, to me just about how we felt going into right. fights, like how, yeah. how or, do you get nervous, you know, and we would have been very honest with each other. And I think that was one of the things at the time that definitely set us apart in that we did have that kind of open, honest dialogue mm-hmm. about not so much mental health, but like fight nerves and stuff, which is mental health, you know, people kind of like sweep that under the rug. And uh, I think that definitely was a good foundation for me to be able to go on then and talk further mm. about it, like yeah. do the, the blog and then talk about it on the ultimate fire and stuff like that, because like there was no kind of stigma there, not with the whole team, but like I said, a small pocket of people on the team were quite happy to to discuss these things and be honest. Like, and I remember talk, like, talking to a few of the guys, you know, like I said, like to Roddy and, and Chris, like talking about how like just before we fight, like, you would nearly be like imagining getting yourself injured. Like, oh, what if I just slipped on the floor here and mm-hmm. I hurt myself and I couldn't fight? Or what if I just climbed out the bathroom window? Nobody had noticed I was gone. And yeah. not everybody has these feelings. There is a, a good chunk of people who do feel these kind of feelings mm-hmm. before they fight and people will be honest about them. And then there is this like five or 10% of people who are just like absolutely living to fight that they don't feel this. Because yeah. I've discussed it with like say Ian Gary, like you know, saying, oh, did you ever get that feeling? Ian's like, no, I'd be raging if I like fell, and you would, like, you would be raging. Like, I'm not saying that I wanted to get injured, but mm. there's something in the back of your head, and you can't do this. You're not ready for this. You're not good enough for this. And then you're kind of like imagining the injuries. But um, yeah, I, th- I think that kind of comfortable foundation yeah. made me feel a little bit better. We're, we're talking about everything. I think you know that's that's so kind of funny to hear you talk about that one the idea of um you know if i slipped and hurt myself because isn't there the story that uh brezzy now breslin he didn't even break his own arm i think to avoid a a rugby match when he was playing for leinster and he talks about it in his book and it was to do with pure anxiety and i know you you've talked about anxiety before um and the idea that somebody would go to those lengths like that that I can kind of, do you know, I, I never played sports professionally, obviously. Well, I, you know, knocking the ball around the net when I was young, um, I wasn't very good. But I can imagine when those uh, nerves that you might feel go, feel going out and playing against your, you know, the next estate over, when that's amplified by a million, I can imagine why you would want, like, why your brain would want you to do that. It might make you do it. Like, obviously, you never did it. But I can see why, uh, when I read about Brezzi and stuff, I could see why he would do it. If you, if you understand yeah if you're just overwhelmed and I think like I don't think your body really has like obviously if something is a life or death situation but I think there's just a general nervousness if you're nervous your body just operates at a certain level unless it goes to we're going to die now so uh, I, I don't think it's 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 that subjective like if you're nervous going out to play a rugby match or you're going out nervous to play a local game match or do public speaking or something like that that you find uncomfortable you're probably feeling the exact same level of anxiety I have because anxiety is anxiety. Like, I don't think there's like anxiety level one, anxiety level five. Oh, now we're up to level 10. So like people say, oh, how could you do that? But then I look at other things that people are doing. Like I'm terrified of heights and I see people who are out there climbing now. I've climbed Carol Tuhul and Propatron. I try and do a bit of like the face your fear stuff, but it doesn't do anything for me. I'm always terrified. But like if these people go off and do these things and they're not terrified and I go off and do this other thing and I'm not terrified. So yeah. it's just all all relative, like whatever kind of. So I don't think like one person is more justified in being anxious yeah. than 
another but it's just how you cope with it and sometimes it can be overwhelming and like I said this is probably one of those situations where Ashling was at home having a couple of tea like while Ash the Bash was handling business because Ashling would have been like oh god we can't do this like that's fair retreat retreat like let's go home (laughs) that's fair um Ashley, let me just get an ad in here and then I'll uh, we'll jump in again, all right? No worries. Um, so, Fusion Training Centre, Monksland Athlone, a place to train in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, kickboxing, martial arts and CrossFit. A great atmosphere with experienced coaches and a real sense of community. If you want to join the team, find us on Facebook at Fusion Training Centre or drop in for a chat. Fusion Training Centre, train like a warrior. Obviously, it's closed at the moment, but it is January now, so if you are thinking, I want to get fit and all that once these things restrictions lift uh give fusion a buzz get in contact with martin and uh yeah get fit do what we're talking about basically um so can we talk a bit about october 24 2015 i wrote that down because i knew i wouldn't remember it i was like that's ufc dolan right yeah, that, <laughs> yeah. so it's, it's it's daily versus almeida in the three arena in dublin um what was right so obviously the fact you were in your home city um what was the build-up like did it did it diff did it differ than a normal like uh fight week or fight camp i should say oh definitely like yeah. i got wind of the word like a good before i think it was like 17 weeks before uh i think it was maybe connor or something had been speaking to somebody you know he was kind of like uh in the know so he he gave me the heads up and said look you know ufc are going to be coming to dublin and hmm you know, let's try and get you on the car type thing. So I was like, all right, brilliant. So literally 17 weeks out, I started to plan and decide, like, this is how I'm going to get ready for this. And I'm going to be the fittest, strongest, best I've ever been in my life for this for this fight because I just, I wanted it so badly. Like, it's so hard to describe how it feels to finally be given an opportunity to do something that didn't exist when you started mm. so you not only did you, like you just not thought it was never going to happen it was never going to be a possibility so you always wanted it but then like it was never going to happen so what are you going to do anyway and then all of a sudden it was like okay this is happening it was like what like like we're getting after this like we are getting after this like so I don't know like just because it was such a big thing and it was something that I'd wanted for so long the whole camp like it definitely wasn't easy it was very tough full of ups and downs and whatever like um but I just felt like it was just electric like I was just buzzing the whole time getting ready for it like it was just such an amazing feeling such an opportunity coming up like you know so like if I can't be hard sometimes you're dragging yourself out of bed to get yourself out especially like the cuts and stuff like for me for 115 are just like absolutely horrific like but I was actually just buzzing. Like I, I just like skipping out of bed every day, like walking around, like so positive. So like high energy as best I could yeah. be and just like living for this opportunity, you know, like, and coming up to the fight, you know, like some of the, the guys were getting to be like, oh, like, you know, slow down with the training and you're doing too much. You're not going to want it when the time comes. And I just thought to myself, that's spoken like somebody who always had this opportunity who always uh, knew this yeah. was available to them. You're not going to want it. Like, you can't understand how I feel about this situation. I've finally been given the opportunity to do something that was never before possible. And now it's here. But there's no way I'm going to lose enthusiasm for this. There's no way I'm not going to want it when the time comes. This is all I've ever wanted. Yeah. So I was absolutely buzzing. Like, I remember it was fight week. 
they sent us down to, I can't remember, I think it was the Marker Hotel or whatever it was down there at the IFSC. We were staying down there and obviously like weight cuts are hard and stuff. So I'd have to kind of like, you know, still be running and whatever, trying to get the weight down for the last week. And I remember running up the keys mm. and I can't remember inside of one of the buildings, but there was this massive poster and it was like myself, Paddy, Redzer, you know, uh, Carl, we were all on the side of it. Yeah. And just like, so I'm running up the keys, like cutting weight, it's miserable, it's, you know, seven in the morning or whatever, like, oh, this is awful. Yeah. And I just look over and I'm like, I was just like, well, the biggest smile on my face and just floating up the rest of the keys, like, you know, just being like run, like running up, like past Haveny Bridge, up, you know, just cr- like across the Liffey, just being like, like living the dream. Like yeah. I'm actually just living the dream. Like this is. There's yeah. a, there's a great media scrum uh, interview. It's, it's, it's a three or four minute one where you did and it was leading up to the fight, fight week. And like, it's funny hearing you talk about how confident you were. Uh, you can see it in the interview that there's no, um, like I can imagine, you know, I'm trying to imagine from your perspective, looking at the microphones and the cameras here, whatever, but it's like, there's nothing there. And you're just like answering some questions from very far away. And it's, it, <laughs> it doesn't, you don't see it. I, I like, I, I'm not a body language expert or anything like that, but you can see anxiety in people. You can see nervousness in people um, when they're being interviewed, but it's just, there was just a freeness about the way you were talking. And uh, I just watched it yesterday and I thought it was great because I was typing all the stuff in, like of, of all your interviews and things that you did. Um, why did you pick? Oh, no. First of all, I'll ask you this. Um, we had Danny Nealon on there a few weeks ago. She said that she doesn't hear the crowd when she's walking out. Um, she doesn't hear the crowd. Are you aware of the crowd? Um, um, I know I would be aware of the crowd to a certain mm. extent, but you definitely have kind of like tunnel vision as you're mm. as you're going. like. Um, yeah, you kind of, you can't take it all in. And like I feel for me, I shouldn't take it all in okay. because I don't want to be overwhelmed. Like, so say for the walkout for UFC Dublin, like I was aware of how crazy it was and mm-hmm. it was like breathtakingly Amazing. like, wow, like this is spectacular. But there was a split second. The only way I can describe it is like I opened the tunnel in my head for a second, went, what the hell is this going on? <laughs> and then went to myself, like, don't don't start enjoying this because you're yeah. only on your way to work you haven't done the job yet yeah so there's no point in me going oh look how great i am look at all these people singing my entrance song aren't i brilliant and then go out and lose like that yeah it's never in my head that i was going to lose but i was like don't lose the run of yourself you haven't won this yet like you're only on your way to work you haven't got the job done yet so i just kind of opened the tunnel and went wow this is amazing back in we go <laughs> like so why did you pick uh, zombie with cranberries uh, I, I didn't really pick it to be honest it kind of um it was one of those things that like in the gym it was like Paddy Houlihan and Peter Queeley and stuff were uh, chatting like Paddy said to me first of all he was like oh my god like you should totally come out to the Cranberries now I had come out to it before when I fought in Montreal the year before I had come out to it or earlier on that year it was 2015 well I'd come out already and obviously it's Canada you know it's not that big of a deal it didn't get that much of a reception well Paddy had kind of said I think it'd be a great song for you I think P had already come out to it before and he was like yeah yeah that song would be like a good song yeah it definitely suits you to, to come out to it or whatever and then obviously like I said kind of flopped in Montreal nobody really cared about it and then it just happened to be because obviously in Dublin like I obviously like the song you know yeah it's great Cranberries are iconic anyway Dolores O'Riordan's voice like Hunting yeah. and just like for Dublin it was like I couldn't have picked another song I've used it before I've used loads of other songs before that I liked mm. and like Get Your Side Dub but like for the homecoming, it was like you can't not have the yeah. iconic voice of an Irish woman. Like, yeah, you can't not 
do that. Like, oh, you know? right. So if if people look, you see it's a tactic you see on YouTube. Okay, so uh, if somebody wants to see it, if they haven't seen this uh, this walkout because it's it is an iconic uh, walkout in Irish MMA, right? The, to, to the people who haven't seen it, the, just go to just type in Ashley Daly Walkout Dublin, right? But go to the first one. If you haven't seen this particular one, Ashley, right? He, the guy or the girl filming it, is is scanning the crowd perfectly, and every people are singing, right? But the moment it changes, and the guy captures perfectly on the camera, he turns to the screen, and obviously the camera, the UFC camera, is zoomed right in your face, and it's not like you're interacting with the crowd, but you're singing it. You know, you can tell you're singing the words. And then all of a sudden, everybody starts singing it. It's an amazing thing. It's one of those things you look at as a fan of sports and get the hair stand up uh, on the neck, because on the on the arms. And uh, the crowd is insanely loud. And we talk about Irish, the Irish crowds in general are amazing. And it it, it properly, if, if people, like I say, if you haven't seen it, go and watch it because it was so amazing. And the most important thing, obviously, on the night was you won the fight. <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> I, we often kind of joke in the gym, like, how awful it would have been to have such an iconic walkout and yeah, <laughs> to, to not yeah. win the fight. Like, you know, that, that would have been very, very disappointing. So it all just came to, together on the night. Like, you know, like, that obviously Zombie is just such an iconic track. And, mm. you know, it, it's so emotionally loaded because of everything that sang about in the song. You know, it just like mm. resonates with so many people on so many different levels. Like we were talking about earlier, like mental health. Like a lot of people, it's almost like an anthem for people with mental health. Like, yeah. you know, the, the angst you're dealing with in, you, in your own head or, you know, the history of like, the troubles and all that. Like it just resonates with so many people on so many different levels. So I, I think that was really like, was what kind of helped to be what it was and the fact yeah. that i was an irish woman doing this thing for the very first time when it yeah. wasn't an opportunity for me before like a lot of people who would be like mma fans would have kind of followed my journey the whole way up so i think it all just kind of like accumulated in this like yeah. massive kind of like outpouring where everybody was just like you know she's here she's finally like yeah like she's finally where she wanted to be like um, we're all here with her and yeah, yeah. it was just a, it was a fantastic feeling it's 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 an unreal uh it's an unreal fight you won unanimous decision and it's only unreal entrance of course the whole thing be able to do it and be able to tell I, I i did read a bit of an interview you talked about being able to down the line you know tell your grandkids about this thing it'll always live with you it's mine nobody can take it away from me no matter what way people try to rewrite mma history or like mm whitewash achievements or because I, I find that there's quite a bit of that go, going on you know people kind of say the way like tell stories the way they want to tell them and they kind of like some people speak about the impact I had like they kind of lessen the impact of, of kind of what I've done or what I've had and try to make out like what's happening now is on the same level to what I do but but it isn't when you're the force there is only one force there's yeah. only one person who breaks through the glass ceiling and makes those achievements and not taking anything away from anybody who comes yeah. after but if you're not the forced you're not the forced and that's just yeah the, I, the way I, it is like i'm so weird about that like the whole irish thing and we're all not great with compliments and all that and i i when i posted up about you being a pioneer the other day i was hoping thinking i hope ashley doesn't think of being an idiot writing that down but that's the truth of the matter like, no it is the truth and yeah. I, I, I i used to get offended when people would say oh she's in irish women's mma pioneer and i'm like give me the long list of people who were competing in mma full stop before me as if there was like these 50 lads giving it a go yeah. and then i came along but no there was like what myself yeah. own roddy arnie isaacson oh yeah 
Adrian Jagorski, like who else? Like there was, like, yeah. you know, there wasn't a whole heap of people, you know, like obviously that's in like down south or whatever and up north there was, mm. was people competing as well, but there was probably what, 10 of us in the entire country fighting yeah. full stop. So if I'm not a pioneer, then like, yeah. what, what am I? I'm not a women's MMA pioneer. I'm an Irish no. MMA pioneer and that's just... Exactly, yeah. But you know, <laughs> you'll, you'll still take the, the queen of Irish MMA, will you? Oh, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll take that. <laughs> um, listen, could you tell us, because a lot of people won't know this, but could, can you tell us why you had to stop fighting? So basically, it was 2016, I was due to fight, and I was due kind of like a brain scan at the end of the year. So I was due to fight Michelle Wars, and now I'm brutal with dates and times, and especially because this fight didn't happen, it would even get more kind of slightly uh, blurred. So I injured my knee. I basically like just tore my MCL, my PCL and my meniscus. And I was due to fight Michelle Watson and I hadn't pulled out of the fight yet. And anyway, she then emailed UFC to say she'd broken her hand. So she was pulling out. So when she emailed to say she'd broken her hand, I went, okay, well, maybe I'll just pull out now as well, because there's no point in me getting them to find a replacement. I was just going to fight with it, the bandy knee <laughs> was basically what was going to happen. But then I decided against this. So I said, all right, this is not going to happen. So I went in, get the original scan and we need to see uh, what was wrong. And then I was at the end of the year, then it wasn't really doing that well still. So we were sending in for another MRI to see if anything else was wrong. So my doctor, uh, Professor Dan Healy, he said to me, oh, your brain scan is nearly due. Your regular annual brain scan is nearly due. So instead of going and making multiple trips to get all the scans done, why don't you just get everything done at the same time? So I was like, okay, yeah, this is grand. So I think it was probably about December 2016. Anyway, so I went in, something obviously showed up on the brain scan that Dan wasn't happy with. So he sent me for multiple brain scans after this. Obviously, I don't know the technicalities of it. I'm not a medical person, but I think he was like wanted to view different planes on the MRI to see because whatever had shown up he wanted to see it more clearly so then I got a text off Dan asking me to come in and see him in his office now Dan had always just call you or email you or whatever if it was just something that was very if it was standard because I remember getting stuff before and sometimes he'll even send you the MRI of your brain be like oh that's a lovely healthy brain or something like that you know he'd say so I didn't get it that's a lovely healthy brain message so I was like oh something's something's not good here so then Dan called me into his office and basically just said to me, look, you know, what I can see on the scan is that there's ever evidence of some kind of micro hemorrhage. And I was kind of like, well, like, I don't like what, like, you know, kind of just like in shock about it. So he basically just explained to me that it had happened some point between now and the last scan. He asked me about different incidences over the course of the year. Like, oh, have you felt like dizzy, disorientated, any of that kind of stuff? Like, um, and I couldn't really pinpoint because there will be times in sparring where you might get it hit a little bit hard or something like that and you might have a little bit of a you know a sore head or feeling a bit like kind of you know basically you kind of feel like you ha- have a hangover or something that kind of like oh, a bit kind of groggy feeling so that would have happened probably a couple of times during the year and definitely in 2015 like obviously after UFC Dublin like I wouldn't have felt great after that like I broke my nose really badly in that and I had to have surgery on my nose and stuff like that so there, there could have been multiple times over the course of that 12 month period where I would have felt like, oh, geez, I don't feel great yeah. or I will. So I couldn't pinpoint exactly when it happened. But I'm very good friends with Dan because we were involved in setting up Safe MMA together. And he, he's my friend. He's my friend as well as my doctor. So 
when he said to me that, uh, in his opinion, he thought that I should quit while I was ahead because he was worried that the next time I had some kind of a, a hemorrhage, it might not be a micro hemorrhage, that it might be something a little bit more serious. And the, the most terrifying thing for me is when he explained that any part of the brain that becomes damaged, if damaged badly enough, it loses the function that that part of the brain was responsible for. Okay. So, you know, people automatically see it like, think about like oh, the dramatic like oh you'd be in a wheelchair or you know you'd be left you know completely incapacitated or something but he was explaining to me it might not be that he said there might be something like you end up with you know like something like bell's palsy in your face that affects your speech or you might lose a part of your personality because you, you've had a brain injury he said you might lose everything about you that makes you 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 might not like be the same person anymore and I think that was the thing that was most scary to me that maybe I might lose like motor function, maybe one arm or it doesn't have to be a big dramatic thing yeah. that people kind of envision because when you're living that life, if all of a sudden you lose control of one arm, that's a massive thing for you to lose control of. If you're used to speaking and you like talking and you like the sound of your own voice like I do, yeah. then you're, you yeah, suddenly to not be able to speak the way you're, you're used to speaking is going to be difficult. So I was like... I just I'm not going to do this anymore like I was like I was like I'm 33 now I was coming to you know like not quite 30 but getting getting that direction like uh, I was just like I don't I don't want to like you know realistically I said to myself how long do I have left like I definitely believed I could be UFC champion like I had no doubt in my mind and even seeing that especially now that they've added the 125 mm. division like seeing who the people are like Jessica I fighting for the UFC 125 title okay well I've already beaten her you know the kind of way so I was like okay well, I definitely am in with a show like yeah but Tila Shevchenko absolutely amazing athlete would have loved to uh, to have a fight with her you know but obviously never gonna happen but like I genuinely thought there was a chance mm. like that that I could be UFC champion so that was kind of the, the hardest mm. kicker but at the same time like you know like you have to live a life like there's only a, yeah. a certain yeah. amount of time to compete at that kind of level and I had always said to myself you know like I'll probably retire in my like early mid thirties because yeah. like you need to set up a life for yourself, you know, and it's yeah, more difficult for women in that regard because even in terms of opening the gym and stuff. So we're talking about at the start about how difficult it is for a woman to be kind of like past that initiation into a gym. Well, being a female coach mm. is a very difficult situation. And then being a female owning, running, coaching a gym like that, to me was never an option to fall back on guys often go okay I'm high level in sport oh, I'm just gonna open a gym and that's me set up yeah. for life but the amount of people and I know a lot of guys would deny this and they would be afraid to openly admit it in public would not want a female coach they would feel that their female coach was somehow lacking because maybe a 60 odd kilo female black belt isn't going to be able to tap them every round Whereas they could roll with probably a less skilled male coach who would tap them every round because they're more evenly matched physically and go, 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 well, my coach needs to be able to beat me up every round. Yeah. And if if they can't, I don't want to be in that, that gym. So automatically you're kind of discounted. So for me, I kind of had to think of, of other other yeah. options then. Um, how, how big of a blow on your mental health was it then? Oh, it was, it was really, it was really hard at the time. Like I, I'd easily say... Uh, until I, I managed to, to get my, my place in college, there was a good kind of two years nearly, like straight after where like I just felt aimless. Like it was actually it was, like I felt like I had no purpose. And 
I always had this strange feeling like I wasn't where I was supposed to be. Yeah. Like it actually would just like kind of eat away at the back. Like you could be sitting doing something, having a nice time, just like kind of very ordinary things. Something that I wouldn't have got much opportunity to do uh, when I was competing because you'd be training all the time. So I might be like out for a nice dinner or out mm. for a few drinks or like something nice and fun that you didn't get to do much of when you were competing. And it would just be like, I shouldn't be here. Like I shouldn't be sitting yeah. here doing this. I should be preparing for a big fight. I should be like fighting in front of like thousands of people in the UFC. I should be preparing for UFC. And it was just always kind of eating, eating away at the back of me. And it just kind of, it kind of like stole a bit of my joy for a while because of that feeling. Like, you know, I wasn't allowing myself to enjoy this next stage of my life because I didn't, I, I wasn't ready to let go of the old stage and I didn't really have anything in place for moving forward. Like, you know, I'd always imagined that I would decide when I would retire and yeah. I'd be like, okay, now I'm going to do X, Y, Z or I'd have whatever it was that I was going to do set up and ready to go. But it was just like carpet, like ripped out from underneath me. And I'm yeah. like, well, I'm not ready. I'm not ready for this yet. Like, what do yeah. I do? What do I do? Like, you're kind of, kind of like holding on to what's behind you and like afraid to look back, like forward at what's, what's ahead. Like, you know. Yeah. Um. So like, what what was there a kind of thing because we obviously talked about Ashling and Ash the Bash as almost separate entities, but was there a was there a a thing of trying to did you have to let Ash Ash the Bash go? Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. You know, like anybody who was kind of close to me, like we literally kind of had chats about like she's dead. Like we have to like mourn a death here. Like you know, Ash the Bash is dead. Mm. Like we have to bury her. She's not coming back. You know, you have to let her go and. Yeah. And that's it. But there was definitely like a, a mourning process to it, like with all the stages that go along with, with mourning, grief, mm. denial, anger, frustration, all those things that I, I had to kind of go through to to arrive at, at where I am now, where like I'm completely disassociated from where I'm like, who? What? Me? <laughs> I did that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you're you're a coach now, aren't you? In in team KS. Yeah, yeah. So I coach the ladies program there, and I coach the kids program there, and then I pick up the slack for Tom and Chris then when uh, when they're not around. So I'll coach some of the mixed classes, but probably maybe once a month or once every six weeks or whatever. I, I get my hands on the lads and yeah. show show them some uh, small small people jujitsu. Yeah, just do that bloody James Bond thing on them. Um, <laughs> so, so... Hopefully, I've moved past that. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, you're, you're, you're a black belt. You're well past that. Um, <laughs> so that the women's class, like, what? When did that idea come about in there? So basically, from the, pretty much the minute we opened, okay, uh, the doors of the gym. Like, so when Chris and Tom were opening up uh, the gym and Swords, they asked me would I coach there. And like she's only setting up the gym. They don't really know exactly what they're going to be doing themselves, but they're like, we'd love you to do a ladies class there. So I was like, brilliant. Yep, definitely do that. And uh, it's just, honestly, it's just grown from from strength to strength. Like, um, I like I obviously, I've always trained very hard and I kind of, a little bit of a switch went off in my head. I used to kind of, I wouldn't say that I was a bad coach before I, I started coaching swords, but I used to, not really understand why everybody didn't want to train as hard as me if that makes sense so I'd kind of like what are you doing here if you're not going to be like giving me all your effort like whereas I kind of relaxed a little bit and realized that not everybody wants to be a jiu-jitsu competitor or Mm. like you know compete in MMA or whatever some people just want to do it as a hobby and some people just do it for enjoyment so when I kind of let that go and realized that it should be just 
fun and enjoyable and then whoever will want to compete will want to compete anyway yeah. and that's what I think was the difference then when I started coaching swords that I allowed the atmosphere to be more just about welcoming and people enjoying themselves and having a good time than thinking that like you know loads of people are going to turn up and want to be world champions yeah and it, it's just basically the the atmosphere that we've created there and it is it's a very welcome atmosphere it's a very fun atmosphere like obviously pre-covid like we'd have people around like we have an open door policy in in mm. team kf and swords anyway um yeah if you're confident in your coaching you're not going to be worried about students going elsewhere to learn because yeah. if you know you're a good coach they'll come back to you you know they're not going to leave you and go elsewhere unless yeah. you're lacking in something and if you're lacking in something you need to help them find it like I, I remember Tom saying to me when we first kind of started over in swords when I, I left SPG and I was training over in, in swords with Tom and Chris full time he was like yeah if you need to go and go over to east coast they've like a, a load of girls over there if you want to like head over every now and again to get some roles in or whatever like do what you need to do like I know we don't really have many girls here for you so you just like and that's that's the sign of a, a great yeah. coach and, and somebody who has great confidence in their their coaching and that was kind of at the start before the the ladies team uh built up and sorts but we yeah. still have that great relationship you know like we try to travel over to you know the likes of east coast or over to sbg dublin 24 with paddy or you know his girls have come over to yeah. me or you know some of the girls from team torres come down you know uh the likes of um primal bj and draw we have some girls come down from there and we'll travel up and you know it's yeah, just you know, over in galway we have olga she's a fantastic ladies team over in point blank we'll pop back and forward to each other over there and i think because the women's side of things is just a, a lot smaller community mm-hmm. and ireland in general is just such a small pond like like if you're trying to be the best in ireland like you're you're kind of short-sighted yeah. but if you see the opportunities you have with females and other gyms that you know that kind of iron sharpens aren't like we can all learn from each other and we can all progress and then we can go and win international medals like yeah nobody really cares if you win the dublin open but if you go off and win the euros or you win the worlds yeah. people are going to be like impressed you know the kind yeah. of way and if you want to be a jiu-jitsu competitor why not let's help each other to get to the highest level that yeah. people can rather than just being the big fish in the small pond i think well i had um I was lucky enough to go to a couple of seminars, uh, Tom King seminars. He came down to us uh, and they were brilliant. And it's, it's, look, it's one of those things, you know, was when you do jujitsu, we had Kieran Davern over as well, you know, and just to see black belts, kind of the tiny little details that, that make it such a massive difference. It's, um, it's very humbling to kind of, I think jujitsu is like that though. It's very humbling uh, sport. And what you said there, actually about me and my friend, Josh, we talk about it all the time, but when we talk about jujitsu, I'm 38 he's 33 he's got a couple of kids and he's got you know a wife he's not worried about he's not trying to be a professional it's not the do he goes in there to enjoy himself so when he's we have to realize that when we're going up against some 21 year old who actually wants to be a professional in MMA and he's going crazy we just have to just keep doing what we're doing not change kind of go smoothly along with it and and uh not um not get upset by it like because we are all on different journeys aren't we and like the thing I wanted to, that's the way I wanted to talk about the, the women's class. We, it's a great idea because it removes what you were talking about going into a full men's class and being maybe a little bit nervous and over, overwhelmed by it. It's a great idea, isn't it? Yeah, it is brilliant for that. Like, you know, uh, and that's kind of like when I, I started with the class, I thought that it would become like a feeder class. 
Mm. you know that like women would maybe like train with me for you know maybe three or four or five months or whatever it was until they felt comfortable and then they'd like kind of I'd give them their wings and wish them luck and send them off into the the mixed class type thing Mm. but it just hasn't happened like that it's just become this entity in and of itself where the girls all still come to my class and do the mixed classes yeah because (laughs) uh, in the nicest way possible the class has kind of become like a, a problem solving class like how to deal with what's happening in the mixed mm. classes almost yeah. you know obviously we give a really solid foundation for the beginners when they come in but usually the class is twice a week so the midweek class is very much centered at beginners and then we have a saturday class which the girls always talk about it's like it's like going down a rabbit hole it's like you know alice in wonderland or something yeah. because i always like i do like a solid fundamental but then i always leave this like i'll call it a half hour but it can be way longer almost runs into a mini seminar for questions Mm. so I'll always be like what is happening with your game during the week what are you struggling with what have we been covering that isn't working for you now and let's try and problem solve why it isn't working Mm. and it might be just like oh there's some guy and he keeps straight foot locking me and I can't stop him like he just gets it all the time and then we're like okay well what's happening that you keep getting caught in that straight foot lock where where are we going like what mistakes are you making like how are we ending up here and the girls' games are like developing like so. Like I've two European medalists already, like really? one at purple belt and one at blue belt. Yeah, D D and Jessica. Like you know, so obviously with Tom's help, you know they do the mixed classes as well. I'm not taking all the credit for it, but like they're they're there with me since the beginning, mm. since the since the gym opened. Like, and it's just phenomenal. And then not to mention all the other girls that I have trained with me that just are want to improve and like like competing at an Irish level or whatever, and are. are are, are doing brilliant you know like um like my main training partner would be a girl called holly she came to us as a purple belt she's irish uh, from swords originally but was living in australia for five years was training jiu-jitsu in australia and then she moved back over then and, and she's been you know amazing for me to have you know i've never really had that like you know coming up like my whole mma career there wasn't any female training partners and by the yeah. time women started to train like i was so far ahead of them like it it, it it wouldn't have been the kind of sparring group that it would have been in then because they wouldn't have been on that level. But then to have somebody come over at purple belt level when I was a brown belt, you know, yeah, yeah, that that was just fantastic to to have. Like, so we just have such a great team there. And like I said, I think the biggest thing is just how open and welcome, like the the exchange of ideas are like, you know, I've no problem learning from, from anyone else. And it's, it's actually this year has been, well, 2020, should I say, has been kind of frustrating for me because it was the year of the seminar for me basically I said to myself I want to go and try and learn from as many different people as possible so if people are doing seminars or open mats or or whatever you know like I'd turn up and roll with people like you know like I said I'd pop over to Galway and I'd roll with Oliver I'd pop over to East Coast and roll with Fionn or, or whatever like that's that's brilliant but like when you're getting bashed by somebody it's not really the same as them giving you those little details so I wanted to get more of those little details from other people like Tom is a fantastic coach um, and Chris is a great coach and we have Anton under black belt we have like a heap of fantastic coaches but I'm just greedy for more knowledge that's Mm. basically yeah and more knowledge and different styles and I just want to get better and not so much to getting better for me because to be very honest like I don't love jiu-jitsu competition like the only way I can kind of describe it to people is I used to be a sprinter and now I'm in like the competitive walking division. That's, that's kind of what it feels like to me because yeah. MMA is so intense and I'm not saying jiu-jitsu is not difficult. It is difficult. It's a very tough sport, but it's in a different way. It's so much more kind of like 
like slower the pace is slower mm. and everything's so much more tactical and i'm not saying mma isn't tactical but it's it, the pace is just much yeah. faster so that's the only way i can describe it and i will compete in jiu-jitsu and i have competed in jiu-jitsu and i definitely will again but i'm not aiming to be like a world jiu-jitsu masters champion or anything like that because i had my passion i had the thing that i loved yeah. so much that i poured everything into it and that opportunity is gone and i don't see the sense in replacing it with some kind of pseudo goal that i don't really have i understand that yeah i understand that i i I'm going to actually, I will, when this all lifts and all that, I am going to come up there and train because... Oh, you're more than welcome, honestly. Yeah, we'd love to have you, especially we've moved into the the new gym. We moved into the new gym just after the second lockdown, I think, and we have an absolutely fantastic new facility. So it's over two floors on brutal with square footage and all that kind of stuff, but it's a really big gym. (laughs) So downstairs we have like a super MMA area with like a cage. We have like a strength and conditioning area. We've got like new bags, like zebra mats up like walls floors and then upstairs then we just have like a massive jiu-jitsu area i'd say it's easily like one of the best or like biggest jiu-jitsu areas in the country now like for, oh. for size wise like yeah, yeah so I, it's brilliant yeah. i actually went to school in swords um uh, you really yeah i did yeah i did from like third class to the end you know um colostra column up the top of you know the road there so okay yeah. so you'd have a little idea so we're up in metro point metro point business park and swords so that's where we are not too you know, far from the coaching you have to remember though oh is it okay i do know yeah, yeah, so it, 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 <laughs> things were, it's such a different place now like this is why well, i left in 2000 so uh, i've been back to see it a few times but it's changed so much like all these yeah. facts weren't there when i was there yeah um, like swords definitely like i'm sure since 2000 to now like it definitely doesn't feel like as much of the countryside yeah. like you know be like oh you live out in swords you live out in the sticks whereas now yeah. it's like not like you know it's like with 20 minutes into Dublin or whatever you're like yeah, yeah it's like a town now it was a village when I was up there but um so you're doing something completely different now you're, you're studying to be a primary school teacher is that right yeah yeah I am and that was another gift that jiu-jitsu gave me from coaching the kids program out in Sword. Okay. so I thought that I wanted to be a secondary school teacher the first time around so I was like okay mm. I'm gonna go back and you know finish this and I'll become a teacher and that'll be that and then from teaching the kids program in swords i realized how much i enjoy teaching children and i said well, i don't think these teenagers are for me i was actually very fortunate in my old secondary school in drimna i was invited back for a guest spell of primary or PE teaching should i say okay. and they allowed me to teach brazilian jiu-jitsu for three weeks okay. to the four second and third years Thanks. and i didn't much enjoy it <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, no. teenagers yeah yeah they can be a little bit hard work like and especially because you're kind of coming in like out of the blue and they don't really know you and there was a bit of kind of what we say like we so bother you you know this kind of <laughs> you know yeah. from little like 15 year olds and stuff so i was like i don't think i really want this for the, the yeah. whole of my life like you know i'm not the tallest you know like i'm five foot two and whatever like uh, i just don't need to be dealing with like six foot 15 year olds like yeah. that i can't actually choke <laughs> okay, that's <laughs> the muscle, like, whereas like kids they're like they're brilliant like you know yeah. we've seen them train and just like the little interesting conversations that that they yeah. have and whatever like you know so uh yeah that basically like okay i think i'll do primary school teaching instead like you know and uh, i was like the irish like kind of was what like caused me a problem the first year i went for it they had an irish oral yeah. exam and the first year I went for it, I failed and I just didn't put enough work in. It was actually around the same time I had that grappling match with Fionn on mm. Grapple Fest in the UK. So I put no effort in and I put all my time into getting ready for that match. 
I think I competed in that show on the Saturday and had the Irish oral exam on the Monday and I done terribly. Oh. And then I worked really, really hard. And then uh, the second time I went for a got it. And now I have an absolute gra for the Gaelga. Like I'm actually <laughs> like, like I wake up every day wishing I was fluent and I'm like trying to study. And oh. if you look at my Instagram, I'm like following like every Gaelga going and have my chonglin and whatever. And I'm looking up my words and I'm just trying to get better at it. Like, you know, I'm really, really yeah. enjoying it. Like just That's trying great. to re- reconnect with that. Like, Lots of the language, and I actually was quite good at Irish in school, but 12 years or 13 years off. It's great to have that. Like, uh, you're obviously well, you're clearly very passionate about becoming a a teacher. Oh, definitely. Yeah, Yeah. the way I feel about it is I want to give children a different perspective on what they can become. Like, I think for a long time now, it is changing the Irish Mm -hmm. education system, but I think children and students in general were seen as commodities to, to fill the market, like, you know okay, so what are we going to do in schools that will make these children be employable when they're done? Mm. And a complete disregard for like the child as a human person and trying to get them to realise their full potential. Yeah. Like, regardless to the market, the job market, the education market, whatever, like it, that's, we shouldn't be churning out children to become employees or citizens yeah. or whatever. They should be seen as individuals and give them the tools and the skills to realize what they want to be for themselves. And like the curriculum is changing and there's a lot more emphasis on things like wellness and mental health and physical education and the arts and imagination and all this kind of stuff. Like, you know, and then to me to come from such a bizarre background into primary school teaching, I, I doubt there's any other primary school teacher in the country that's been a professional MMA fighter as well. But if there, if there is some like, get in touch with me because I'd love to pick your brain on a few things yeah yeah um, exactly yeah. But, but yeah so that's what I'm hoping to kind of like through my lived experience to be able to say like look you don't have to just go and work in a bank you don't have to just go and be an accountant yeah that's brilliant if that's what you want to do but if there's something a little bit off the beaten track that maybe you want to get involved in maybe you want to be an artist maybe you want to be a writer maybe you want to be something a little bit more kind of obscure and yeah. like give it a try and like yeah, help children see that that's it's not wrong to want to be yeah something that's slightly different or like that's not easy to monetize or like love and enjoyment and all the find something that you're passionate about like so many people live a life and they don't ever come across anything that they're passionate about and that's true yeah it makes me it makes me sad when I think about yeah. when like people are kind of like in this humdrum like kind of just on this wheel like going around and they don't ha- what do you do I don't have any hobbies I sometimes go for a walk I I don't do, like I don't read I don't like yeah so you go to work and then you sit at home and you scroll through Facebook and you go to bed like that's that, like no. open your eyes like there's so much out there for you like if you put a little bit of effort like you have to take the risk like you have yeah. to to find that opening you have to put yourself out there but if you put yourself out there a little bit there's a good chance you'll find something yeah. that you're passionate about and this has been well 2020 obviously or 2021 we're in the same situation but this I think for a lot of people it has made them realize like outside like they're not leaving the house to go to work anymore because they can't and everything is closed but then there was people that were never really doing much more than going to work and sitting at home anyway and I think it's become even more obvious to them that they were lacking that's true it's it's uh we we're doing the live enjoy uh joy live enjoyless what a show that would be uh live enjoyful (laughs) and uh it's 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 so interesting to hear people talk about the things that they are joyful about, you know, and um 
really talking like for 20, 25 minutes, talking about uh, music, art, yoga, whatever it is. And to really just focus and concentrate on something. And it's interesting what you said there about schools and stuff. It's been going on for, for centuries that that kids weren't being told if one turned around and said, I want to be a writer, they were never they were never said, all right, well, go and write a short story for me about such a... It was always, no, no, you can't be a writer. That's not realistic. Go and do, like you said, banking or whatever. They have to be encouraged to do these things and shown that they can be what they want to be. And I think that's great. And I, I hope that people um, your age, Ashley, people younger than you coming into teaching are um, thinking the way you are and trying to kind of develop them in a different way than we have been for years and years, you know. Um, there's there's another thing I just wanted to talk about because this this is a thing that interests me a lot, right? But you you mentioned earlier on about facing your fears and your fears is heights, right? And I, I share that very much actually. But this is one thing that is a different kind of fear. It's what you do at the moment. It's cold, it's cold water swimming, open water swimming, whatever way you want to put it. When did this come about? And um, it started off in June. So I think that was the first lockdown. And my friend Holly and her husband were going for a dip in the sea. And he was going far too early for her. He's one of these like um, Jocko Willink, like, you know, yeah. half four. Like, and she was like, look, I'm just not getting up this early. Would you be interested in going a little bit later with me? Like, like so we were like 7 a.m. Like, not like it's late, but not half four. <laughs> so uh, we started that then. And my friend Dee then, she she came in. And we actually started off, we used to just go once a week, once a week on a Wednesday. We had a WhatsApp group. No, uh, Vim Hof. Like, so we mm. had a like Vim Hof Wednesday. That's, that's what the group was called. And that's all that we basically do. And in June, it's not, it's not really that cold. And yeah. it was just something to do in all the kind yeah. of like, because obviously we're not allowed to roll and like there was just so much that like was just restricted that we weren't allowed to do anything. So we were just trying to find joy in other things that we were doing. Like, so it wasn't that cold in June. It was quite nice. You could spend an awful long time in the war. Now we would be like cold when we got out and, you know, your fingers would be numb and, you know, having trouble turning the ignition in the car and stuff going home. Like, but um, it was just so enjoyable and it was just so serene. There was like a, a real sense of peace. And like, like in June, like, we were spending 30, 40 minutes in the water, like, mm. you know, and this is just like swimsuits and chatting. Like this is like, yeah. you know, the outdoors, you know, obviously it's all COVID safe and all that kind of stuff. And then as the year went on, you know, we were like, sunrise was starting to catch up on us then. So we had some really great experiences, like where we'd be in the water and the sun coming up behind you on a clear day. And nice. like, there was tons of people in there with us, like, you know, mm. it was getting more and more popular. And then as the year kind of started going on, started to become a bit of like, are we still doing this you know like so by October we were like are we still getting in here is this still going to be a thing like you know and then we're like oh we're definitely going to make it to December we're definitely going to like you know yeah. we're definitely going to get this done like and uh, we're we're still we're still going like we were in this morning you know so uh, yeah yeah there was a good, good temperature drop this morning but it was it was busy yeah down on Palm Island Beach it was it was busy you know like wow the shelters were busy like people are getting changed on the beach and just on benches and stuff like that it's very very popular like you know very a great buzz about it. like it's it's very very similar to jiu-jitsu is the only way i can describe it because like when you're going into the war especially on the coast where the irish sea i think the atlantic the um the current is slightly causes us to be slightly warmer than the, the water mm. temperature is a little bit higher so I'm not I'm not saying we're tougher than you people on the Atlantic, but I'm saying yeah, we kind of are. <laughs> 
So like it, it, it's just you can't be thinking about anything else. As you're like I like I'm not I'm not a great swimmer, and like I said, I'm not good with heights. So people are like oh you know diving in off the forty foot and all the kind of stuff. I'd be frozen at the top of the forty foot, not going anywhere. So yeah. I just wade in. But still, like when you're wading in and it's cold, like you can't think about anything else. Like yeah. when you're like the waves coming at you and you're starting to get caught. Like, oh God! Like you can't be like oh. Did, did, I, did I put the bins out like you're not gonna be <laughs> it, it just doesn't matter like you know yeah. and then when you're in there like the water like just flowing and you know, the waves coming and just the whole experience it's that really like uh to use somebody else's words like embodied feeling that mm. you get in jiu-jitsu or something like you know mm. like you're fully there like you have to be fully in the present fully inhabiting your body to be aware of what's happening in a role. If somebody's trying to choke you or arm lock you or is putting like cross face pressure on your face or just has a heavy top pressure, you're like there, you're in the moment. Every interview is feeling the exchange. Yeah. And then it's the exact same when you're in the war, like the cold war or splashing you or you can't be thinking about anything else. You're just very much in the moment and there's nothing, no yeah. distractions, nothing else. And as I found like more and more so, and I, I don't really have many people that I know that go down but every time you come down there's a new group of people there obviously we're not on top of each other and COVID and all that kind of stuff we're not like we're well social distance and it's outside but there's a great sense of camaraderie between people who are coming down to get in like yeah. so people are getting out as you're coming in and they'd be like oh she's a cold one today girls but you just can do it you know that kind of stuff yeah. or you know it's like nice. some people are wearing wetsuits and other people are still just in their togs so like there was one man in today and he was like uh, an older guy and he he has no t- uh, nothing else but his togs and there's a fella coming down in a wetsuit and the old lad is making fun of the young lad in the wetsuit so what are you doing that like wearing that that what's that your birthday suit and you know all this kind of like <laughs> yeah, there's just yeah. a bit of banter and you know yeah. people getting in now and there's just a bit of camaraderie there because it is getting tough now like I think the water temperature is like about nine degrees at the minute and that's not even that cold apparently February March are the colder ones and like there's old timers that have been doing this for 20 years and you come down yeah. and you think you're like something <laughs> special and they're like oh you want to see the winter of you know yeah 85 or whatever like oh that was the coldest winter for swimming there ever was <laughs> and you're just like it's cr- like, it's, how it's, it's, amazing. Like, it's amazing to me because i i am um, uh, my mom lives up in black rock and uh sometimes i go for a run down there by the sea and you see them getting in at black rock they tend to be older the older generation to be fair and they're just like you were saying wading in i think wading in is way worse than just jumping in because it's one it's one strike when you jump in when you're wading (laughs) you know but there is a lady on instagram called jilly MacArthur, and she she does it in the locks up in scotland she's coming on the show in february actually but she's um i i followed i started following recently and it was because of you because i was looking following your uh post from port marnock uh, and I know Parmanic, and um, so I found this lady, and uh, you're talking about the water temperature as well. Like she measures it every day. She she checks the air temperature, water temperature. She she was in the water the other day, and it was 0.2 degrees. Like I was just like, that's to me as scary as anything. I want to do it. I do want to do it, and I and I will. But yeah, I know you I definitely should. Like just, yeah. just if you're going to start at this time of the year, just be careful. Like you know. Oh yeah, it's starting the summer. Yeah. Yeah. If you're gonna start next year, you'll you'll be fine when it's or this year, later in the year. Keep getting yeah. used that transition. Uh, that grey area. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, you'll be fine in the summer, you'll be grand. Like and then yeah. when the weather starts getting colder, like you know, you can wear like um neoprene gloves and mm. neoprene boots and stuff like that, and they just give you that little bit of extra protection because 
it's your extremities are the first to start to go and yeah. things forget like getting changed and stuff after like it's difficult if you can't use your hands <laughs> it's very hard to do zips or buttons or laces yeah. or anything like that so and then yeah. your L your swim hat you know the all timers you know or oh, say you, you lose the heat through your head so get your L swim swim hat on and I've seen the guys you now lately this like these winter swim hats you can get in the decathlon that like apparently have an extra couple of layers and keep your head oh, really? it's great crack though like honestly yeah um because we were so restricted like so they see swimming and then I've, I've been surfing a couple of times mm. but this year myself and my pal holly we actually bought surfboards now we're very beginnerish like we're on foamies and whatever but i'm not not that there's a wave on the east coast anyway <laughs> but that's all you have that's all you yeah. have like so yeah. you know some days there's like you know a bit of wind or whatever so you're checking magic seaweed and seeing if you can go down and collect an L. uh wave on Port Marin Beach or something but just being out in the war or just finding something to do like and like I know 2020 has been a, a horrible year for a lot of people but I, I feel almost guilty when I when people are talking about how awful a year it's been because I don't feel like it's been the worst year I've ever had like you know I've been through a lot more in terms of my mental health but I found it was a great opportunity for me to find other things that I love people she said must like oh you can't do jiu-jitsu you must be like beside yourself and I'm like I can get in the sea, I can surf, I can go out and run, I can go out and walk, like, you know, I can read loads, I can listen to audiobooks, I can listen to podcasts, I have more time to be doing things that that's I never really thought. That's what I feel about it as well, it, that's how 2020 went for me, and uh, I, I mentioned this in the podcast before, I, I love John Ronson was talking about it, and he, he mentioned about how people with anxiety kind of embrace this because they could be indoors and they could get on with the things that they always thought that they needed to do but also that they could turn around to people who didn't have anxiety and say, I told you there was something wrong. I knew there was something coming. And that was his kind of thing about, like, <laughs> and it made some sense when he read it. I was like, he's, he's, he's absolutely right. Um, but uh, yeah, listen, Ashlyn, it's been, it's been great talking to you. It's been a pleasure for me to have you on. I really enjoyed talking to you. Thanks very much for having me on. Thanks very much. Listen, just, just stick with me for a minute. I just want to take a, a quick photo. I will turn on my, I look like a ghost now on the screen because, it's getting a bit dark outside, but uh, let me just uh, finish this up here, Ashling, and then I'll, I'll get the uh, photo, all right? No worries, thank you, Tom. So, as always, uh, thank you to John for getting me to episode 50, all the technical stuff that I can't do. I appreciate it uh, an awful lot, John. Um, and also thanks to his family and to Megan. Thank you to Martin, my coach, for suggesting Ashling as a, uh, would be a great guest. Um, I, I was meant to say this to Ashley. He was, uh, I was, we were about episode thirty, and I was like, oh, I want to get someone really good for episode fifty. And he said, How oh, about Ashley Daly? He literally was in the, in the first couple of sentences. And uh, yeah, to the people who don't know, I was just chancing my arm, messaged at Ashley, and so it was very sound of her. Obviously, it's very sound of you to kind of come on. So because, thank you. Yeah, she, she loves the sound of her own voice. Get yeah, her on. <laughs> hey, hey, you're the best guests because I don't have to do anything. <laughs> <laughs> But um, thanks to uh, my mother, my father, my granddad, um, Gerard and Calvin. Uh, oh, subscribe to our YouTube channel if you haven't done so. If you're on YouTube now, listen to it. Hit subscribe if you don't mind. Uh, we're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. You can find us on this uh, podcast platform, Spotify, Apple, Anchor, Google Podcasts, etc. Um, I need to stop sounding so bored and read out that bit. It's just because I read them every time. I'm not bored. They're important parts. But uh, listen, thanks everyone for listening to our 50th uh show and again Ashley thank you very much I really appreciate it thank you right everyone take care we'll be chatting to you next week all the best bye